Hello and welcome everybody to According to Andrew number 88 Elite Overproduction. So, uh, or overpopulation actually. Uh, <clears throat> so, in the last episode there was one thing that I kind of missed and that I thought it was interesting to potentially uh, talk on this more and elaborate on this further uh, is the idea of elite overpopulation. So Churchin talks about it a lot. I think it's an interesting idea and kind of maybe some ways to deal with that institutionally, um, structurally, demographically, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> but ways to kind of make sure that you don't have too many people trying to fill the roles because that's usually when instability kind of kicks in and, and creates issues. And we'll get into all that and why that's the case um, as we go along here. But um, the main the main reason that this is an issue is because uh, society basically needs a way to expand elite institutions as population expands or have uh, as part of the process of being able to join the ranks of the elite uh, high enough death toll to either kill off or discourage enough of them to keep the ambitious population in check. Because <clears throat> uh, when the ambitious population gets too large and there isn't enough seats at the table, as it were, you end up developing what is a counter, uh, you end up causing elite fracturing and you create a counter elite that usually ends up leading the rebellion of the overall population in the next war. So that inevitably kind of uh, destroys you and all that stuff. So that being said, um, that needs to, to kind of be kept in check. That's one of the destabilizing things that within a society. Um, sometimes it's a good thing that that destabilization, destabilization happens because uh, the society is too stagnant and too kind of stuck in its ways. And it needs kind of to be revamped and a new way of thinking about things. But that's not always the case. And there is enough... If your institutions are robust enough, in theory, they're adaptable enough. Uh, of course, everything is... Uh, corruption will seep into everything eventually. And uh, the call of the devil and all that stuff will uh, worm its way th and tentacles through uh, the society and permeate it uh, to a point, And eventually, it'll kind of reach that point. But just because it will reach there eventually doesn't mean that there aren't safeguards and other uh, factors that you can take into uh, account... Uh, to make sure that that doesn't happen. <clears throat> um, so, I don't exactly know what it looks like, the way to uh, contain these elites, but as I'm kind of talking here, I'll end up going through a couple of ways that it has been checked in other societies as a way to control things. Um, so, the Ottomans is a good example. Uh, <clears throat> and there's this was specifically for the top spot, the Sultan. And... Uh, the the sultan traditionally had uh, a harem or of concubines that he would um, end up having kids with a lot of different women and then basically it was a competition to see who was left by the time that sultan died so basically everybody could get the job it wasn't an inherent you get to inherit this and everyone was murdering and stabbing and backstabbing their way to the point of being able to take over the uh, the job and eventually, by the time that happened, usually there was one guy left, and uh, they got the job, and then the cycle continued. So that, that was a way to keep things in check. Worked for a long time. Uh, <clears throat> the thing that broke the cycle is one of the sultans uh, decided to that he only wanted one wife, and so that ended up kind of creating issues later down the line. 
Uh, but I think the next Sultan ended up going back to the, the old concubine system. Uh, but, yeah, th and there's a lot of other issues that cropped up throughout Ottoman history. I'm not the best uh, Ottoman. I'm not a huge autophile, I think is the term. Um, <clears throat> but that's an interesting kind of way of uh, dealing with it. The Romans did it in an unstabilizing way. So there's this kind of built, uh, the Ottomans is kind of built into the cake. The Romans wasn't, but it was an effective way of kind of dealing with this. And they <laughs> dealt with it through civil wars and uh, Sulla's prescription. So basically, uh, the civil wars murdered a crap ton of them. <clears throat> and uh, Sulla's prescriptions basically like, you, uh, you're on this list, which means it's time for you to get executed or have people within Rome come in and murder your family and take all your stuff. And so that ended up, weeding down the Romans to a large degree. Uh, there was a lot of elite overproduction in the uh, Hundred Years' War, <clears throat> and a lot of that was taken care of by uh, overly zealous uh, young nobles trying to prove their valor on the battlefield as a way to try to move up in the ranks and getting utterly slaughtered because of it. So that's uh, a way to kind of deal with the problem. <clears throat> uh, these in events in general are destabilizing, however, and it may be better to have a formalized system for weeding people out. Of course, there will always be corruption uh, by the devil, probably immediately as the system... Uh, and to an extent, this system already exists in our society, <clears throat> uh, except it's through the devil, and it is that you uh, sell your soul for fame and glory and all that stuff. Uh, <clears throat> this works great at not causing elite overproduction... This is not a good system, by the way. I'm not advocating for this system. But the way that... The, the reason it kind of works, that the, the devil's uh, bargain kind of works in a moral society, is because it does keep elite production in check to a certain degree. <clears throat> um, doo -doo 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 -doo. Uh, in a moral country, there isn't a big problem as uh, finding people willing to sell their soul for fame is hard to find. Therefore, you won't have elite overproduction. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, now we, now in our current society, we have elite overproduction and overpopulation because of an oversupply of immoral people willing to sell their soul for any modicum of power or fame or what have you. And it's an issue. Uh, while this certainly is, is a weed way to weed elites out, it is definitely the worst. <clears throat> also, if we take that... Uh, also, I'm, I'm adding as a caveat to this whole thing. Um, if we take that all institutions are liable to corruption over time, just, that way we don't have to constantly go back to this uh, corruption and devil, uh, the devil kind of sneaking his way into things. Um, so if we take that all institutions are liable to corruption over time, we can effectively set the aspect of evil to the side for the moment and reintroduce it when discussing the ease at which the institution has the ability to be corrupted via its structure or other potential weak points. So... <clears throat> We're going to assume, yes, everything is liable to corruption, uh, but we want to kind of set that to the side, kind of figure out a structure, figure out a way that things could potentially work, and then reintroduce that at a later date to see how maybe uh, there's weak points in, in our fortress um, and see if we can shore those areas up, or maybe it's just something that we kind of have to deal with and live with or have to maintain over time. Um, <clears throat> where are we? So... Uh, what is a way of weeding out elites to prevent overproduction without generating instability via uh, counter-elite movements? So that's the overall goal. Uh, <clears throat> the most straightforward way is to kill them off, but uh, this is messy and it uh, simply keeps the numbers in check 
is bound to create resentment and counter movements, and it doesn't get you the best of the best, right? Like, the Romans had a lot of competition, and yeah, they had a lot of death and some other issues and instability moments and stuff like that, but their process for getting to the top of that hierarchy made it so that, the, in general, the best got there. And that's what we want. That's what we're aiming for um, in this, I guess, idealized society, this thing that we're kind of shooting for and kind of thinking in our heads, uh, you know, if you could build a society, what aspects, what various things do you want? Would you uh, implement and things of that nature? Uh, I, I basically, I'm trying to think of ways to address some of the issues and the cyclic nature. And you don't necessarily want to get rid of the cyclic nature at all. Try, you know, trying to um, undo nature is a problem. But if you know that these trends exist, is there ways to mitigate or uh, reduce the impact or potential society collapsing uh, calamity of these events uh, that Churchill and stuff like that talks about in Structural Demographic uh, Cycles? And I'm almost done with that book, so hopefully we'll be able to re review that soon. And maybe I'll dive into that a little bit more as we're going through all the specifics of the book. <clears throat> that being said, um, what is a way of leading... Weeding out elites and preventing overproduction without generating instability via counter-elite movement. Um, so, killing them off will create a counter-elite movement, and that's going to create instability. So, that doesn't really work. Also, it doesn't get you the best of the best. Uh, in fact, you're probably highly incentivized to kill off the most ambitious people, <clears throat> if you're just the ruler and, and things like that. Uh, uh, there probably has to be some form of test or challenge that has a high fat fatality rate but can elicit uh, honorable passions so uh, in those that participate. So uh, <clears throat> think of the Spartan trials to become a soldier, right? Uh, this intense uh, years-long training that ends in a, a massive trial or something like that, and the probability that you live is like 30% or something like that. And But like once you get through that, you've kind of earned your, your keep, you're good, not for life necessarily, but uh, you can you can you've proved that you're worthy. You've proved that you have you're valorous and stuff like that. And unlike the Spartan society, which is all boys and stuff like that, went through that as long as you were a Spartan citizen. <clears throat> uh, this would be something that was optional, right? So you have to somehow figure out a balance in which it is the honorable thing to do to go through this trial, uh, but at the same time have it not be shameful to not do the trial. Like, be like, hey, you know, it's this trial's not made for everybody, but we give big props to the people that go do it. A, a good example might be kind of how um, people see the U.S. military right now. I know, like, Afghanistan's falling, and there's a whole bunch of issues and shambles. Uh, I don't generally cover uh, current events, so I'm not going to get into that now. But generally within uh, modern U.S. history, and probably U.S. history in general, uh, Serving in the military was seen as an honorable thing <clears throat> that you did, and especially since we went to an all-volunteer army, it was like it was a trial. It was something that people didn't have to do; they could choose to do it. If they did choose choose to do it, they're kind of seen as, oh, uh, you went and kind of did this uh, noble or honorable thing that was really hard, and you put your own life at risk to defend freedom uh, and all that stuff. <clears throat> Whether or not that's true doesn't matter. Or, or just kind of like a, a spell that's crafted on people to get them to join. <clears throat> doesn't matter. What is important is that it creates a, a, a 
reason to go into the military, but not a there's no shame within the society of not joining the military. You compare that to basically how Britain treated uh, transcription <clears throat> during World War One uh, before they instituted a draft, and you know they it was you should join, and if you don't join, we're going to shame you. We're going to go around with these women that are going to put uh, white feathers on you and uh, pin you with a white feather, and uh, basically say, oh, look at you, you're, you're a coward for not going over and dying in a trench. World War One, pretty brutal. Um, so, like, those are the kind of, the two differences and ways of, of looking at it. Uh, instability is undesired. So, we, we want to create something that's has the feeling, the aspect of, like, joining the U.S. military but not being required to join it. Um, Equally, it needs to be seen as a challenge uh, for some, but certainly not all, as there is no shame or stigma in not attempting this bloody path. This eases the sting of the sons of nobles and elite uh, houses falling out of that status and choosing not to go that route. <clears throat> because you don't want everyone in your society to go that route, especially if it's I got a high mortality rate, because you don't want everybody to die in general. Um, another way of easing this sting is... It would be helpful if these men had a place to go that didn't make it feel like a downgrade. So a good avenue or route for these men would probably be like going to university, right? So you have this really hard trial kind of path that you can go. You're probably going to die. But if you make it, you get to run society. <clears throat> On this other path, you're not going to die, but you can live well. You can... You can have a good job, paying job. You can be a productive member of society and things like that. So uh, um, <clears throat> this other direction, you you get put, uh, you can fulfill your political ambitions and and things of this nature. The other side, you're not going to get any political stuff. You're not going to be involved in politics at all. But you can make a good living being like an engineer, a doctor, um, lawyer. Probably ties into the political thing a little bit too much. I'm not exactly. That's a gray area. I'm not sure where that would fit. <clears throat> um, but those kind of things. And this is probably way too logically thought out to naturally be a thing that would develop within a society. But we're looking at, like, what could maybe people ideally do? Or what are some things that look like this that have developed over the years? <clears throat> and that way, people, as they form more institutions in the future, can make those um, decisions to include or exclude certain things based on lessons from history. <clears throat> um... And apparently the 10 people that are going to see this video, that's probably not going to influence anyway, anybody. But on the off chance that it does have some impact down the road, uh, that's kind of cool. <clears throat> um, doo -doo -doo -doo. So, <clears throat> so, aka the nobility would basically be moving to the middle class and uh, have a lifestyle that is desirable uh, so that nobles naturally weed themselves out. Uh, you got your college education educated jobs that would fit the bill um <clears throat> useful degrees like medicine and engineering uh political science stuff would be reserved for those that pass the culling test ideological stuff uh in the hands of those that are technically the failures within the current political order is dangerous and should be avoided at all costs <clears throat> uh the challenges uh oh and the reason you don't want that is you don't want uh you know i mean we kind of see it right now where uh, the people that don't make it are the ones that generally form the counter-elite movements. Uh, you have a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of the SJW blue-haired type people are uh, basically 
our college system right now is producing a massive amount of uh, extra, what would fall into bottom level nobility, and basically people are going to college to make it into what is effectively the nobility in America. And there is no jobs for these people. <clears throat> so they effectively have to fall out of normal status, and it cost them a lot of money to do that. It, it, they, they gambled, and they got their gender study degree, or political science, or like a million other things that just didn't really have any real application within uh, society, and now they're working at Starbucks, and they, they have unpayable debts and all this stuff. So that breeds resentment. On top of that, they were taught an ideology that doesn't really fit within our current society and actually is kind of a counter to our current society. So they take all of that energy uh, and they, uh, what is it? They channel that into counter-elite movements and things like that. That's where you see all these protests and all this stuff um, and uh, all this stuff that generates uh, issues. Uh, Emsworth, uh, Britain's impressment in Napoleonic era was... Uh, great as well. Yeah, so that's another one that, that fits into um, what was I talking about? In, into an aspect I was talking about earlier. I'm trying to remember exactly a frame that that works out too. Uh, <clears throat> where was I? So yeah, you don't want you don't want the people that uh, are not being the most successful in society. I'm not saying you have to, like, go full Japan and make it so that nobody has access to any of these ideas, but, like, you know, limit it a bit. Because <laughs> um, it's it's dangerous. And the thing is, in today's society, is that even possible? I mean, I don't know. They're doing a pretty good job of the censorship right now on, like, on uh, YouTube and, and uh, Twitter and all that stuff. So, I don't know. Maybe they could pull it off. Uh, but... Again, this is just kind of talking through some of these ideas. Um, so, in terms of the challenge for the elites, uh, the challenge needs to be somehow calibrated so that not everyone dies uh, that goes through uh, the challenge. Basically, you can't have a 100% fatality rate or you're not going to have anyone to run your society. Um, and it, you need to have it be as consistent as possible for the amount of people that get through. Because you have a certain amount of seats, you know... So maybe as the government grows or whatever, you'd have an increased amount of seats. And so you could let more people through. Um, that has the issue of if you make the challenge easier over time, there's a uh, cheapening of what previous generations had to go through to to make it to this far. And also, you know, if you cheapen it once, you're cheapening it. A good example of this is what happens when... Uh, like women in the military, how the standards have continually been lowered to make it so that uh, they can kind of make it through the ring. That kind of same thing happens if you expand all of these institutions and therefore have to lower your standards to make it so that, uh, you know, because you needed the top 10% to run society before, but actually now you need the top 20% of people to run society. That can kind of cheapen it and and make it so that these positions aren't as worth it. So I don't know what you would do to fill that if that was an issue. Maybe you would have a challenge, maybe you'd do a two-stage challenge, so you'd have a less deadly challenge that would uh, make it so you're good for the top 20%, and then you have a second-stage challenge that would get you to the top 10%. And uh, if you make it to the 20%, you can opt to be like, I'm good, I'll just take some of these positions at the lower um, political level, and this is where I'm, I'm happy at, I'm not going to risk dying and all that stuff. Uh, and those that are politically ambitious can continue 
uh, climbing the ladder to their own detriment or success. <clears throat> um, so that's something that needs to be considered. Um, so you, you don't want to kill everybody off, but you don't uh, want to make it too easy. You want the same, relatively the same amount of people getting through the system every year. Uh, this to figure out all these little factors is going to be very hard for a society, but there are some things that kind of naturally probably develop in these overall, uh, in a society. Uh, anyway, um, I, I have an example of a, how kind of America did it at the end here. Um, do, 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 uh, <clears throat> too much competition. Oh, and then, uh, once you get people into those, the, a re another reason you want it to be consistent is you don't want too many people, too many or too little people feeding in. So I talked about what happens if you have too little people, it kind of cheapens it, makes it so that the, um, the competition for those chairs isn't as competitive and therefore you're not getting your best out of people, you know, iron sharpen iron sharpens iron kind of thing. Uh, on the same side, if it is too competitive, it's going to lead to instability and you're going to have, you know, people shooting each other on the Senate floor like they did back in the Civil War days and a whole bunch of other crazy stuff. So you you want, if you can, you want that, that level of competition to be like just in the Goldilocks zone, right? Not too much, not too little. It This nice sweet spot and you want that to be maintained over time. Is that possible? No idea. Uh, do to do. Uh, this could be regulated. Oh, another way that you need to regulate this is because, um, you know, as people are in these positions for long periods of time, you need to also have something on the back. So you're going to have people coming in year after year, uh, new crops of elites basically that are like, hey, I want positions within the society, but now you have all these old people that have been around forever that maybe don't want to give up their power. And so you'd have to have a way of kind of weeding them out. So, you know, once you've served X amount of time within the, let's just say the Senate, um, think Rome, uh, once you've served uh, 30 terms or something like that, so maybe, maybe the competition makes it so you can get in when you're 30, and then you can serve 30 terms. So you can serve for 30 years. And then once you're 60, you got to retire out of the system. But you're not just directly sent out to pasture, as it were. Uh, once you hit hit that, it's like you can't serve in a political capacity anymore. But we don't want to lose all of your experience, all of your, your knowledge and stuff like that. So you're moved into this advisory role. And you work as uh, the advisor to um, some of the people within the Senate. Uh, whether that's mentoring some new people and trying to figure out how uh, to bring some of those people up or some of the older people, basically your knowledge is valuable. So you can kind of maintain some of that you take away their political power, but um, you know, they, they still have the ability to, they can't directly like cast votes and stuff like that, but half the time being able to mold minds and, and influence how people see things and, and what the correct political decision or uh, proper, proper way of, of how they think things should be governed and being able to uh, craft people's minds on that might be more important or more uh, powerful than uh, the actual political positions themselves. <clears throat> uh, on top of that, you'd probably want to restrict uh, the ambitions of the people that are newly introduced for the first couple of years. So for the first two years, let's use the United States example for, uh, <clears throat> so let's say, um, the, the House of Representatives, the Senate, and all the executives, right? So the, f the first year you get in there, 
as a new uh, newly bridging elite, you can be part of the House of Representatives, and you can do uh, do that for two terms, uh, four years, or let's just say you have to do that for at least one term. Uh, you you have to be in that lower level position for one, just kind of get your feet wet, understand what's going on, uh, how the game's played, all that stuff. And then once that's taken care of, then you can apply to basically any position that you want. You want one of those Senate spots? Go for it. Uh, <clears throat> and this will kind of mitigate and, and help ease some of the tensions, work people into the system, make it so that it's not such a crash course, especially since we don't know if the trial and stuff like that will necessarily correlate to the work of politics that they're going to be doing, which might end up causing some people to make it through the trial and then drop out because they're like, I, you know, they're... Uh, great warriors or something like that. They have a, a history in military command, uh, but they hate the pencil pushing and the, you know, backstabbing, back talking type stuff of politics. And so that's just they're they're like, you know what, this ain't for me. I'm gonna go do something else. So that's another way that people will maybe filter out. Uh, though that's probably got a sting to be like, ah oh, man, I risked my life and limb to get here, and I don't want to do this. <laughs> um. But hey, to each their own. <clears throat> uh, so getting back to the shape of the actual test, uh, the, the test sh uh, should s take something, might take the form of something like a duel because uh, at least 50% of the participants will survive, right? So you have a duel, um, let's say uh, walk 10 paces and shoot type of duel. Uh, in theory, 50% of the people would survive if you're thinking old school duels. Most people survive those um there were periods in time where there was a high fatality rate in like the i think the 1600s when again there was a lead overproduction and uh, a lot of them were killed off in duels and stuff like that but in general duels were not a high fatality type thing you would graze somebody or it was basically like first to draw blood kind of thing not first to murder somebody <clears throat> um The problem with this is it lacks a kind of rite of passage vibe uh, that I think would be important for maintaining it as an institution, kind of developing that um, desire for people to go through it and risk their life and limb to get this higher level thing and also see it as something prestigious, but also, uh, you know, something that's maybe not designed for everybody. Uh, serving an officer of war uh, might be a good test, but that implies that you need a war basically constantly. And that typically bankrupts a country in short order. Uh, see, America. Uh, so that's not really viable. Uh, I'm sure there are a million good answers that would all work for this question. So probably just leave it to the people and the customs and their cultures to decide as they kind of develop. But, you know, having these kind of ideas in your head when you're developing some of these type of institutions and, and as they happen organically, you know, if you have these ideas in your head, the organic things that happen as they develop will hopefully kind of move them or craft them in such a way that uh, factor in some of these considerations. Um, so, uh, as a last little thing, uh, apparently, in, this is from uh, Age of Discord that I was just reading. So, apparently in the early 1900s, America did uh, this by limiting college enrollment. So, uh, through things like accreditation, they were able to have the amount of medical schools, uh, moving the bottleneck point, model, bottleneck and point of competition to admissions and not the open market. So basically what they did is they made it so that uh, they're like, oh, we have too many uh, 
people, too many physicians in the open market. Uh, it's driving down the wage of physician and kind of making it lose its prestige and luster as a, as a occupation. So to combat this, we're going to cut back in the amount of medical schools and limit the amount of people that can go and get that degree. And then once they have this degree, this is something that libertarians complain about, about like accreditations and uh, licensure is basically artificially inflates um, the value. And it does. And part of this is because of it's supposed to be like an elite status type uh, aspect to a certain degree. So anyway, they're able to, to decrease that and in. Uh, so that increased the wages of physicians and having the bottleneck be admissions made it so that um, uh, society and the institutions could control, better control um, like elite production and things like that over uh, the free market, well, not kind of the free market and, uh, you know, who wins and loses based on uh, the open market competition type stuff. So... <clears throat> You know, their competition was who gets into medical school, not who is the best physician. Now, there's certainly arguments to say that that's not how you would want things and that's a bad way of running things. And, you know, they're valid. I'm not, but I'm not really here to argue that uh, one way or the other. It's just kind of an interesting observation of how uh, America kind of dealt with this. They also, <clears throat> uh, interestingly, <laughs> um, the you, you see the changes that they have right now of trying to drive down uh, enrollment of uh, white students and Asian students in enrollment by factoring in all these other things. Well, your SAT score isn't the highest, but uh, we'll take into consideration that you had a hard time, uh, harder time growing up than a white kid or an Asian kid. You, you faced more trials and tribulations. So therefore, uh, as a Hispanic or a black person, you get a bump in your overall score. So they did this exact same thing, except it was for the benefit of uh, the WASP community back in the early 1900s, because uh, too many Catholics and Jews and uh, African Americans were getting into uh, colleges, basically, especially the elite colleges, your Yale, your Princeton, your uh, Harvard. And so what they did is they had, they added a uh, recommendation, like, uh, you had to get letters of recommendation from people, and they added an interview to see whether or not you were personable and stuff like that. And the entire point of that was to be able to filter out people they didn't want, and so to keep uh, the American elite American, which, quite frankly, was a kind of a better policy than what we got going on right now. Um, but there's there's a million issues that led up to our current situation, so I'm not going to get into that. <clears throat> uh, but yeah, so that's kind of a uh, interesting game so basically to kind of sum it up uh elite overproduction is a problem that society needs to deal with uh if you don't deal with it in the proper ways it's going to cause a lot of uh potential civil war and counter elite movements within your society and create instability and potentially collapse your political regime if you want to keep your political regime in check and stuff like that you need a way to for those frustrations to be vented um and People to and not and one of the ways to vent those frustrations is to make it so that the political elite can't build up to a mass size that uh, creates too much competition for the limited amount of slots to run the country. So to do that, you can create a basically weed out system that either discourages elites from going and seeking these higher offices or has such a uh, probably more and than or but and or uh, 
has such a high kill-off rate that the amount of people that reach that endpoint is within a manageable level within society. Uh, there's a lot of ways you can do this. Um, you know, if you think a lot of the tribal uh, rites of passage from uh, back in the day, uh, whether they were uh, running, um, like dangerous paths or or uh, you had to succeed in your first hunt. There's a million different examples throughout society that you can use, uh, but figure out what works for your society and implement that and hopefully create the, uh, the aspects that make it so that it is a strong institution that won't get undermined and, and destroyed over time and that doesn't cause uh, pressures from other spots uh, that's going to either cause it to collapse or burst or something like that. You want it to be a robust institution. So that kind of sums up my ideas on that whole um, thing. Uh, thank you guys for watching. Um, if you like the video, please like it. I'm on uh, YouTube and BitChute and Podbean. Uh, so that's where you can find me for now. Uh, and hopefully you guys enjoyed the video and have yourselves a good day. Goodbye.